0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me please to uh, the first epistle of John, first epistle of John uh, chapter 2, Hebrews James First and second Hebrews, James, Peter, first, second, Peter, first, second, third John. You'll find it there. So, first John, chapter two. And I just want to read uh, one verse at this time. So, first John, chapter, chapter two, verse twenty. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, because of this Advent season, as I said a moment ago in the announcements, because Uh, Various men are going to be taking uh, the services in the evening, and their theme obviously will be the first Advent. (laughs) So therefore, I'm steering well away from that subject. I don't want to overlap or uh, intrude into what their messages may be. Uh, So I want to continue then, uh, at least this morning, in the theme that we have been doing, this short series uh, on the Holy Spirit, the Comforter uh, has come. Now, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have been born again of His Holy Spirit, then there is an anointing upon your life. Uh, There is something of the Holy Spirit working within you, a deposit of the Holy Spirit. You have an anointing. You have divine equipment, divine ability within each and every one of you every single born-again believer has the Holy Spirit. And because you have the Holy Spirit, then there is an anointing that's part and parcel of just having the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that you receive the Holy Spirit when you get born again. You get saved. You're born again of the Spirit. But we understand that Even from then on, then there's different infillings of the Holy Spirit, different stages of your life. Even those who were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, as you read through the book book of Acts, again, they were filled again and again. And so many of us have had that experience, wonderful as it is, uh, but with that comes this anointing, this unction of the Holy Spirit, this divine equipping, this divine ability And that brings certain things into our lives. As born-again believers, we need the Holy Spirit. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, we're none of His, the Bible says, Paul says. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need His working in our lives on a daily basis. Oftentimes we're conscious of it. Oftentimes we're not conscious of it. But still, we need His working within our lives continually. So this brings us to the anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One, John said, and you know all things. So the first thing I want to say is this morning, and this is not in the order of importance, but the first thing I want to say, the anointing brings revelation. Notice how John says you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. What does he mean by saying you know all things? Well, in the context John's writing. Remember now, John is a very, very old man. All the other apostles are all dead and gone, martyred for Christ. He's the only one left. He is the, the senior man, as it were, of the church. He's the elder statesman of the church. And he's writing here now towards the end of his life. He's writing and he's concerned, as Paul was in his day, about the, the various false teachings that have started to creep into the church. And... Uh, historians reckon there was probably at least a dozen false teachings that had started to permeate around the churches and some of them were infiltrating the churches and were doing damage. And so, as well as Paul writing these things and Peter, then we also see that John here, towards the end of his life, the church is well established all over the Roman world. In fact, by this time, it is reckoned there is a church in every major city in the Roman Empire. So the church is well established, but... There's this business of these false teachings starting to come into the church, and John is trying to uh, speak in the context of that in these three little uh, books that he has written. And one of the most prevalent of the false teachings was Gnosticism. Uh, and, and Gnosticism uh, comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge or to know. When we get different words from that, for instance, if you went to the doctor and he would take your details, uh, he would have a diagnosis uh, of what your health state is. And in fact, he maybe even would give a prognosis of what it's going to be in six months' time. So these words come from that are diagnostic. These words come from this gnosis. It's a great word meaning knowledge or to know. And there was a a teaching going around that these people called Gnostics, and they believed that they had a, they had from from God an unction to to be able to teach something that the church didn't know, a special revelation. Uh, And this special revelation they had that nobody else had, none of the apostles had it, but they had it, and it was special, and it made them feel elite. Uh, And they would try to teach this and get people in the church to believe this. And part of their belief, now there's a lot to believe, but part of their belief was that all matter is inherently evil and all spirit is inherently good. Uh, All matter is inherently evil. Therefore, your your body and all your passions and all your feelings and all your lusts, evil as that is, there's nothing you can do about it, they said, because it's all inherently evil. But your spirit is inherently good. And so, in other words, what, how that pans out in life was then practically that you could live it every way you like because that's coming from your flesh, your body, and that's evil, but your spirit is inherently good, so you're okay. Now, you see that kind of teaching even today. You see it within New Age teaching where you can live whatever way you like. You can sin however often you want or whatever way it sends you want to live, but because you're inherently good inside, then you're okay there's a divine spark within you now also that caused problems within the church because jesus for instance uh jesus came in a physical body which they say well that's inherently evil that's matter it's inherently evil so therefore uh, jesus christ then he was divine his spirit was divine but his body inherently evil so his body was an aberration didn't really exist we just That's what we saw, but it didn't really exist. So you can see how that's not only nonsense, but it was dangerous teaching. In fact, John, in First in, in, in John chapter 4, John tries to even to deal with that very, very thing. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Is of God. You see what he's getting at? He's counteracting their teaching. Has come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is already in the world. And so John says to the church, he says, Listen, all that's going on, it's starting to creep into the church, but hold on a minute, he's saying, Hang up a wee minute. You know. You have an unction, you have an anointing, and you know all things. In fact, all through these three little books, he mentions knowing about 13 times. For instance, in chapter two, verse five, we know that we are on Him, chapter 2:18. We know that we're in the last days, 21. We know the truth, 29. We know righteousness, chapter three: five. We know why Christ came. Chapter 3, 14. We know we have passed from death to life. 16. We know the love of Christ. 19. We know we are of the truth. 24. We know how he abides in us. Uh, chapter 5, 15. We know he answers prayer. Verse 19. We know we are of God. Verse 20. We know we have eternal life. And in 3 John 2, we know that our testimony bears witness to the truth. Amen. That's a lot of knowing, isn't it? So John says, listen, they say they know. They say they've got this special revelation that only they've got that nobody else has got. But we know. We know the truth. We have got the unction of the Holy Spirit. We've got the Spirit of Truth living inside of us. So we know. We know what they don't really know. That's nonsense. That's false. But we know the truth. Listen, there's a lot of false teaching going around churches today. Really weird stuff. Really weird stuff. And it shipwrecked some believers and some churches It's shipwrecked we know. We've got the Holy Spirit. We do know the truth if we understand that we have the Holy Spirit, that anointing within us. In chapter 2, verse 27, uh, he says something else here. <clears throat> but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. You do not need that anyone teach you. Now, let's not misunderstand what John's saying here. John's saying we don't need them type of teachers. But we do need teachers because the apostle Paul, in Ephesians 4 and 11, says that God has set in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... For the, adding up, for the building up of the, 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 the church and for the ministry that needs to come from the church. So, so we need teachers and we need teaching, but we need true teachers and we need true teaching. And thank God over the centuries, there has been some very well-equipped men and women who've been great teachers of the word of God and God has anointed them to be teachers in the body of Christ. And some of them have been great theologians who's kept us right, who's kept us on track against all of the falseness that tried to creep into the church. And so it's the Holy Spirit who's the one who gives us knowledge of Christ, knowledge of Christ's word, knowledge of Christ's kingdom, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge that enables us to live this Christian life to the full. That's why we need the Holy Spirit continually working in our lives. Amen. Now, I don't, know, I don't know how you deal with the Bible. Uh, I, I don't know how you read it. I don't know when you read it. I'm not going to try to legislate for that. It's up to you. But I will say this, that you really, really, really need to know the Bible. In these last days we're living in, we need to know it all the more. We need to know what we believe. We need to know the truth of what we believe. We need to be able to live it. We need to be able to understand it. We need to be able to explain it to ourselves, maybe perhaps to others. You need to know the Word of God. This Bible is absolutely fantastic. This Bible has changed not only millions of lives, this Bible has changed nations. No wonder hell fights against this book. All hell rages against this book. There are nations today where this book is banned. There's nations today, if they found you with this book, they would imprison you. They would maybe even kill you. They'd maybe even hang you because you own a Bible. Why do you think the enemy is so much against the Bible? Because it's revelation. Because this will help you to live your Christian life to the full. Because the Holy Spirit will reveal this book to you. And there's nations, for instance, that has been changed because of the Bible. There was a time in in France, for instance, uh, during the French Revolution, uh, where many, many people lost their lives. And that, and that came on the heels of what was called the, the Enlightened Era, or the Age of Reason, where, where God was pushed to the side, and now science and, and technology in and that day came in, and the Age of Reason, you reasoned everything out. You didn't need God, you didn't need the Bible. You had your logic, you had your reason, you had rationale. And, and then in the heels of that came, wasn't the only reason, but came the French Revolution <coughs> and Britain could have followed in the heels of the French Revolution also, except men like Wesley and Whitfield, God raised up to take this book and to go out to the highways and byways and preach from this book, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And instead of revolution, Britain had revival. And we really needed revival at that time, especially you think you need it now. We need it then. Let me just read this to you here. England at the beginning of the 18th century was in a moral quagmire and a spiritual cesspool. Thomas Carlyle described the country's condition as stomach well alive, soul extinct. Deism was rampant. Deism is the belief that God, yes, God created everything, but he's never got involved in it. He's not supernug- He doesn't supernaturally get involved in his creation. He's detached from it. So deism was rampant and a bland philosophical morality was standard fare in the churches. Sir William Blackstone visited the church of every major clergyman in London, but did not hear a single discourse which had more Christianity that it had in the writings of, of Cicero. In most sermons he heard, it would have been impossible to tell just from listening whether the preacher was a follower of Confucius, Muhammad, or Christ. Morally, the country is becoming increasingly decadent. Drunkenness was rampant. Gambling was so extensive that one historian described England as one vast casino. Newborns were exposed in the streets. 90% of the infant poor in the workhouses died as children. Bear-baiting and cockfighting were accepted sports. Tickets were sold to the the public executions as a theatre. The slave trade brought material gain to many, while further degrading their souls. Bishop Berkeley wrote that morality and religion in Britain had collapsed to a degree that was never known in any Christian country. And that's when God sent revival. When the country was at its worst, when it was at its lowest, Whitfield and Wesley took this book, and they changed the nation. God brought revival through their preaching of the word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. And so, this is a special book. As I said, I don't know how you'd. It's a big book. And some of that's intimidating. There's 66 books in it, isn't there? And some say, well, it's, it's big, it, it's difficult, it's hard. You know, how, how, how could you wade through all of that? It's so big. You know, but here's the reality. <laughs> Half, half the books of the Bible, you can read from 10 minutes to 45 minutes. Half the books of the Bible, and half of those half you can read in 20 minutes. In fact, if you really wanted to and you had the energy and you didn't went without sleep for a while, you could read the whole book out loud slowly with emphasis in 71 hours. So suddenly, it's not so big anymore. Sure, is not. You know, it's doable. and and Sidlow Baxter says treat the Bible, first of all that you treat any other book now if somebody reached you a book to read you wouldn't open in the middle and start to read it you 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 start at the beginning and you work your way through because there's a story in the Bible there's a a thread right all the way through the Bible Graham Scroggie called it the drama of redemption it's right from Genesis all the way through to Revelation And, and so you begin, and then he says but read it like you'd read no other book because it's like no other book it's alive. Yes. This, is, this is God breathed. God breathed into this book. The Latin is inspiros, which we would get inspired from. We talk about somebody being to be inspired today. Now, that's not what inspiration the Bible's like. It's God breathed. Or in the Greek, it's theonoustos. Again, God breathed. Uh, and... Uh, and so this is a, a powerful, powerful book. And if you go to read it, you know, the first five, the first five books is the books of Moses, the book of the law, the Pentateuch, uh, the five scrolls, the five books of the law. Uh, and then you can go into the, the historical books and you read about the history, you know, the, the history of, of the nation of Israel. And, of course, from that nation of Israel comes one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And you read the history books and the philosophical books and the poetical books, and you read the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and the little, beautiful little book of Ruth, you know, that's written in the, in the barley fields in the midst of the battle fields. And all of that there, it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. And you can read all the way through right to the end of the Old Testament and then you come into the New Testament and you've got the, the history uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ and his time on earth in the four gospels. And then you've got the history of, the, of the, the church in the book of Acts. If we didn't have the book of Acts, we would have no idea in the world how the church began or how it developed, but we have. And then you read the, the church epistles, mainly written by Paul, and that tells us how we live as believers, how we live as one, with one another, how we live our daily lives in a practical Christian way, how we relate to our communities, how we live our lives every day. That, that's all within the, the epistles. How we worship together, about church life. All of that's there. And then, of course, then, you, you know, you have the, the pastoral epistles, where Paul writes to pastors, Timothy and Titus, and the prison epistles, you know, the Phalasians, Ephesians, Phalasians, Ephesians, <laughs> Phalasians, <laughs> Phalasians, <laughs> Ephesians Colossians, <laughs> Philippians, and Philemon. You know, where Paul in prison, he writes and, you know, the little book of Philippians is a fabulous book of joy and happiness and gladness. And he's in prison when he writes that. You know, and then you read the beautiful book of Hebrews. It's just so rich in, in, in type of the Old Testament. And, you know, there's just so much there, isn't there? And the little book of Jude. And, of course, the book of James, which is the most practical book in the, in the whole New Testament. It's as if you transported the book of Proverbs into the New Testament. It's wonderfully practical. And then, of course, the marvelous book of Revelation. What a fabulous book that is. And so I'm saying that to give you a taste that that's what you've got in your hand. And it's life-changing. And you need to get to know it and read it every day. Let it become part of your life. And if you struggle to read, there's all kinds of... You can get it now in cassette form. You can get it in CD form where somebody reads it for you. You can listen it in your car. You can listen it when you go to bed at night. Whatever. Just get that into you. Here's what Peter says, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, there's about 40 different writers. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. There 40 different writers, but there's only one author, the Holy Spirit. And he moved upon men to write this, to record this, brought things back to their memory. When you think of John when he's 90 and he's writing, looking back when he walked with Jesus and his mind is as clear as a bell because the Holy Spirit brings to his remembrance certain incidents that happened and the things that Jesus said, that's there for our good, that's there for us to read. (coughs) And just the way that God breathed into man, the breath of life and man became a living soul And so God breathed, in a sense, into this book. He breathed his word. He breathed his heart. He breathed his purposes, his promises, plans into this book. It's a living book for us. It's a book full of life. It's wonderful. That's why Paul writes to Timothy 2, Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. (laughs) This book book is profitable Amen. all of it old and new testament there's, a, there's those who say today forget about the old testament we don't need it anymore we've got the new no 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 all scripture is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work profitable for doctrine for teaching those who say, well, doctrine is dry and it's dead and it's dusty. No, it's not. It's what we need to believe. It helps us to live as believers. Doctrine can be very, very practical if you live it out and you walk it out not just something you read, something you live, something you fully understand. You need to know about righteousness and justification and sanctification and all the great doctrines of the Christian church and all of those are livable, doable. We live that out. So it's a living thing. It's profitable for reproof, for rebuke, for censure. And sometimes we need censured and we need rebuked. It's profitable for correction. That means for straightening up. We all need straightened up and straightened out from time to time, don't we? Well, this is what the Word of God does. For instruction in righteousness, which means child training, maturing. Just the way that we train our little children to grow up and to become mature and to become understanding and become knowledgeable. So this is what the Word of God does to us. From the moment you get saved, begin to go into this book. You're just a baby in Christ. You don't know everything yet. In fact... You'll never know everything, but you're just young in the faith, but you need this to nourish you. And you start out with the milk, the Bible says. Later on, you go on to the meat, but you start out with the milk. Just the way a little baby, it can't eat strong meat when it's born, but it drinks milk. It needs that milk to build it up, and then eventually it goes on to the solid food for instruction in righteousness. This book is God-breathed, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's the living sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so you say, well, I I struggle a bit, it's it's a bit difficult. Listen, the devil wants you to believe that you'll never understand this book. That's a big lie. He knows the more you understand, the better you'll be, the stronger you're going to be. Uh, Reuben Archer Torrey, R.A. Torrey a great old preacher in America of old fantastic evangelist wonderful evangelist, great pastor and he said that one time uh, a Christian doctor came to him and he says uh, Mr. Torrey says uh, he says when I read the Bible he says it's as dry as dust he says I get nothing out of it and Torrey says read it and he says I do read it he says read it some more he says, well, give me some advice. What, what book should I read? He says, 2 Second Peter. 2 Second Peter's only three chapters. But he says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to read it no less than 12 times a day for a month. Then come back and see me. And so he and his wife, the first day, at breakfast they read three chapters. At lunchtime they read three chapters. Dinner time they read three chapters. Bedtime they read three chapters. Next day, breakfast, three chapters, lunch, three chapters, dinner, three chapters, bedtime, three chapters. He says, by the middle of the month, he says, I went to bed thinking of the second Peter. I got up in the morning thinking of the second Peter. He says, the very stars in the sky was singing the story of second Peter to me. He says, at the end of the month, he says, I was on my knees with tears dropping onto the pages of second Peter. He says, for the first time in my life, I understood. I got it. The Holy Spirit taught me. So sometimes you have to persevere and read and read and read. You know, sometimes you eat your dinner at night and you just eat it and you hardly even taste it. You just gobble it down, don't you? But you need to eat your dinner every night. Otherwise, you're not going to last too long, are you? And sometimes it tastes wonderful and other times it's okay. Sometimes it get more out of it than other times. and It's a bit like reading the Bible. It's like that. There's going to be some times when when you go to read the Bible, particularly if you're reading through it, and you come to Leviticus. Mm -hmm. Ah, and you say, Leviticus, what in the world am I going to go out of Leviticus? Leviticus is just cram-packed, full of good things because it's all types of Christ. And when you understand that, when you understand the things about the tabernacle and the high priests and the garments and the feasts and the holy days and the holidays, when you see types of Christ, in that, then it becomes alive to you. You see something that you never saw before. It's wonderful. It's a great book. You need to get to know it more and more. Huh. And so this anointing of the Holy Spirit gives you revelation helps you to understand this anointing of the Holy Spirit empowers you actually you shall receive dunamis power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you divine spiritual energy not physical energy spiritual energy because sometimes our spirits get a bit low physically we get a bit low at times, but spiritually we get a bit low. We need that divine energy to lift us, to inspire us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, who went about doing good, heeding all who were oppressed of the devil. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed that anointing, when he was on earth, how much more we need it. Amen? If the Son of God needed that, surely we need it. But we have that. We have an anointing, John says. An unction from the Holy One. In Judges chapter 6, let me just take a little drink here. In Judges chapter 6, it tells the story of Gideon you don't necessarily need to turn to this, I'll just briefly mention this. It tells the story of Gideon, and how the Midianites and the Amalekites had taken over the nation of Israel for seven years, and by and large the people of Israel were living in ca- dens and caves in the mountains. They had no arms, they were defenseless, and, and, and every time there was any kind of a harvest the, the Midianites and the Malachites would come and they would destroy their harvest. They would steal from them. They would burn it. They would destroy it. Uh, and they were severely oppressed. But Gideon, he must have had a little field somewhere hidden away. And it came harvest time and he had taken his corn and he was threshing it in, in a wine press, hiding from the Midianites, just to be able to get a bite. And in the midst of doing that, the angel of the Lord appears to him and said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. If ever a man felt less like being a mighty man of valor, it was Gideon that day. He really did not feel any way. He was frightened. He was in hiding for his life. And yet the angel of the Lord said, you're a mighty man of valor. You know, sometimes whenever we're at our lowest ebb, sometimes God comes and just speaks a word into our life just to encourage us, just to lift us. And he says, well, if that's the case, where are all the miracles? We've heard from our fathers what happened, the Red Sea and all that, but we're not seeing any of that today. And uh, the angel says, well, go in this, your strength. You've understood something here. Go in this. And he says, well, if you're really sending me, if you're really raising me up, give me a sign. And if you read the story, you will see that God gave him a sign, a wonderful sign. And uh, and then uh, the Lord spoke to him and said, uh, you know, there's lots of, images of Baal in the country and your father has an image in his house I want you to go and tear it down (laughs) this was a big thing and so he took ten servants and he went at night not during the day so he wouldn't be seen so he was obeying the Lord but he was still scared still frightened but he was obeying the Lord and he tore it down and the next day there was such a a furore because this Baal image was torn down in, in, in the house of Joash uh, and they went to Joash and said, "Who did this?" And then it was found out it was Joash's son, Gideon, and they wanted to kill him. And they said to Joash, "Kill your son because he's torn uh, idol down." And Joash says, "Now hold on a minute. That Baal is a real god. Surely he can he can defend himself. See, he's going to need better courage now because his son was more courageous. And then God raised him up, uh, and he." he got an army of 32,000 who were willing to stand with him to fight against the Midianites and Malachites. 32,000. And God says, well, that's wonderful, but there's too many, because then you would get the glory. So through a series of tests, which I'll not mention this morning, through a series of tests, he whittled that down to 300. And God says, now that's enough, because now I'll give you great victory, but I'll get the glory. And that's exactly what happened. So... I said all that to say this that God, by his Spirit, because in chapter 6, verse 34, it says, And the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. (laughs) The Holy Ghost in the Old Testament came upon Gideon and raised him up to be a great leader of men. Glory to God. You see, the Holy Spirit can make you a leader. Now, you may never be a leader on a platform. But you can be a leader in your home. You can be a leader in your classroom. You can be a leader in the factory floor. You can be a leader in your community. You can be the one that they'll come to, the look to. You know, I remember eight years I worked in a factory. And boy, I get slagged every day. They wait on <coughs> me coming in. I, they used to line up for me coming in, literally. In the locker room, they were lined up to slag me. About being a good living. Oh, here's Gowdy, he's good living. You know, and all that little nonsense they get through. But wait a minute. Whenever the wee son was going into hospital for an operation, guess who they came to? Ha <laughs> ha. They looked all around and says, uh, David, would, would you say a wee prayer for my wee son? Or whenever something bad happened, they'd look all around and they'd come to Gowdy. or people like me? And they was saying, now remember it. Remember now when you're praying. When you go to church, remember me. See? So God can make you into a leader by his spirit. Wherever you may be, you may be the standout person that they'll look to. You may be the one that they'll come to. You may be the one that they'll think, do you know what? She's different. He's different. You know, you know he's only 15. She's only 14. But they're different. They're not like the rest. And that will that will cause them to gravitate towards you. Yes, you'll maybe get some stick. Yes, you'll maybe get slag. Yes, they may make some fun of you. But when they're in trouble, get what? They're going to come looking for you because you're different. And so the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon and raised him up to be a leader. And he can raise you up to be a leader. The Holy Spirit can empower you to minister the Word. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, and I'm going quick now because we're running out of time. The Holy Spirit can empower you to minister the Word. Now, I don't necessarily mean, again, behind a pulpit. Thank God if He does. If God gifts you that way, anoints you that way, wonderful. Thank God. But every single believer, the Holy Spirit can equip you to share God's Word. You should be able to, in five minutes share the gospel with somebody in a simple simple way you might have to learn a few scriptures to memorize them know where to turn to you may have to practice a little bit but the holy spirit can anoint you to do that that you'll say the right thing at the right time to the right person and the right word and the holy spirit can take that and just put it into their heart just sew that into their life <clears throat> all of us the holy spirit can do that with If he takes you further, and makes you into a preacher or a teacher, whatever, wonderful. But the vast majority of Christians will never, ever do that. But all Christians can be equipped to lead somebody to Christ. All of us are witnesses to him. So begin to look up some scriptures. If you've got a little New Testament, mark some of them. In fact, you may want to mark this one and then put beside that the next scripture to turn to and then write beside that the next scripture to turn. So, and then it becomes part of you, so that you're able to do that. If you're called upon, at some point, if somebody says to you, what is this business about being safe? What does that mean that you're able to tell them? And the Holy Spirit can equip you for that. He can bring things to your memory. Things you've heard, things you know, things you've been taught. Suddenly, it begins to come. And then bit by bit by bit, you can point somebody in the right direction. The Holy Spirit does that, you see. Holy Spirit empowers you to overcome the wrong desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit can help you break the hold of the habit. The Holy Spirit can help you break the hold of the habit. There's habits that can come into our lives that are damaging, that can be destructive that can make us feel guilty or ashamed. And it's the Holy Spirit can give you the power to break that habit, to break the hold of it in your life so that it's gone, so that you can overpower that, rather than it overpower you. See, that's the anointing of the Spirit. That's the divine ability, the divine equipping of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Jesus sent Him to do this in our lives, to make us overcomers in our lives. The Holy Spirit empowers you to pray. Romans 8, 26, 28. Do you know this thing. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, huh, the Spirit who lives within us, He can help us pray and pray through us. And so the Holy Spirit can help you even in your very prayer life. Holy Spirit can help you to be a leader can empower you for all of these things, can give you the ability to minister in a simple way. Clifford and I, over the years, whenever we have gone to the Ukraine, uh, we've, we found this out fairly quickly because now, Pastor Alexander's church, they're well-versed in Scripture. Many of them have been on the road for years, and that's fine. You, it's easy to preach to them, uh, but it's when you go into the villages, when you go into the villages, for people who's only ever been brought up maybe in the Orthodox Russian Orthodox Church, <laughs> uh, and it's uh, Russian Orthodox Church, it's like going into a museum, literally. It's, it's just all statues and uh, a maraud and chanting, and it's, there's nothing of the Word of God in it. Literally, it's like a museum. So when you go into those places, you got to make it so so simple. Uh, Now, whenever I preach there, obviously it's through an interpreter, a translator. So I always, 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 any time before that service, get together with my interpreter, go through the whole message so that what I'm going to read from my English Bible is going to be the same from their Russian Bible. You know, in southern Ukraine they speak Russian. And if any illustrations I'm going to give, I want to know, will that work here? Because if it doesn't work here, there's no point in saying it. So if it doesn't work, give me one that does work. So that we're well-versed. So when we get up there, both of us are singing from the same hymn sheet. But when you go out into the the villages, then they're not so very versed in scriptures and the things of God and the Bible. I remember one Sunday, uh, I was going over with uh, with Svetha, She was an interpreter at that time. And I was in the room there, and I was going over the message for the village church that was going to preach that night. I think this was the first time we went to the village church. And Alexander must have realized, and he came in, he knocked the door and he came in, and he said to Sveta, uh, he, must have, he must have imagined I was going to preach that, that night, what I preached that morning to his people. And he knew they he couldn't handle it. So he, he said to Sveta uh, in Russian to tell me, whatever he's going to preach, make sure... But it's very, very simple. Not that he preached this morning. We enjoyed that. But they wouldn't understand it. So we're about to get into the car. I mean, this is where we're ready to go off here. I uh, know no, I had not even thought of that. No, I thought what I was going to preach. It wasn't what I preached in the morning, but I thought it would be simple enough. But it wasn't simple enough for him. So here we are. And she says, what are we going to do? I says, I have no idea. I said, will I take us to get there. She says, about an hour. I says, well, I'll tell you at the end of the hour. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very, very quiet that... Night driving along that hour, not a word was spoken. And I says, Lord, how much more simple can I preach than John 3.16? You can't get any easier than John 3.16. Surely that's the simplest verse in the whole Bible to preach, isn't it? So that's what I preached on John 3.16. As simple as gospel as you can possibly make it. And do you know what they responded to that? They understood that simple, simple, simple message. And that's what Alexander was wanting because he realized they weren't Bible students. They weren't knowledgeable. They just needed the simple, simple gospel. And the simple gospel, to those who've never heard it, is great news that Jesus came, that he died for our sins, that he cleanses us, that he wants us to in a relationship with the Father God. It's such a simple message, but it's so appreciated whenever they receive it. So finally, <clears throat> and there's more, but just finally, this anointing abides first john two twenty seven but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone should teach you but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. you don't have to go looking for the anointing you've got it it's in you. <laughs> you've got the holy spirit you've got the anointing it's there. You see, this quickly speaks of three things. This speaks of its place in you. The anointing resides in you. All right, it's there for you to discover, for you to be conscious of, for you to say, Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit has anointed me to share with this person today. Your Holy Spirit has anointed me to lead this group today. Your Holy Spirit has anointed me to do whatever I need to do. You've given me the ability. You've equipped me to do this. That's already there. That's its place. Then it's permanence. It abides. It's always going to be there. You may not be always conscious or feel it, but it's there. It abides in you because the Holy Spirit's in you. And then, if I may, it's personhood. Notice it says, and just as it That's the anointing. As it has taught you, you will abide in him. (laughs) You see, the Holy Spirit and the anointing are inseparable. Inseparable. Mm -hmm. That's his personhood. The anointing emanates from the Holy Spirit. That divine ability and equipping comes from God's Holy Spirit who resides in you. Mm -hmm. So whatever... Whatever God wants you to do for him, he's already equipped you for that. You may not feel it. You may not think that, but he has because he's put his Holy Spirit in you. That anointing is in the Holy Spirit, is in you to do what God has called you to do. So don't doubt it. Don't be afraid of it. Say, Lord, you give me the divine ability. I'm equipped to do this. Now, Lord, as I step out to do this, help me. And you just say, help me then that help will be there. And you'll find that that anointing will begin to flow. And you'll find yourself doing things that you never thought you could do, saying things you never thought you could say, leading in ways you never thought you could lead. That's the ability of the Holy Spirit in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us as orphans. You did not leave us comfortless. You did not leave us without a guide. You sent your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that your spirit lives in us today. Permanently living in us every single day. So Lord, help us as we go out into our world to reach people that others may never reach. Help us to understand and realize that this wonderful anointing resides in each of us. To use... To be uh, the ability to be able to be used by you through your Holy Spirit. So we give you thanks, Lord, for this. We bless you, Lord, that you're equipping us every day to do your will and to serve your purposes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content. Available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk